Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Reverend Steve Andrews. We continue our study of the book of Revelation together with chapter 6. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth, as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? This is the word of the Lord. The general overview of not really just this chapter, but really a, a larger swath here, this is going to get us into the bulk of the book. We are going to see a series of three cycles. In other words, the book is going to repeat itself. It's going to repeat the events that will happen three times. And it's going to do so in these groups of seven. So in here in chapter six and concluding in chapter eight, you have the seven seals. In chapter 8, going into chapter 9, and then concluding in chapter 11, you have the seven trumpets. And then in chapter 15 and 16, you have the seven bowls or the seven censers. These three groups of seven are the same. It is a cycle. It is the repetition um, that is being given to us three times that we might understand. And so what we have is that Revelation covers the period of time from the cross to the end of the earth. It covers the time from Jesus' death, from the sacrifice of the Lamb for our salvation from yesterday's chapter 5 until Christ returns to bring us home. That's what we're looking at together 
that's what you want your focus to be on. This is simply as, as vivid as the language is. This is as simple as seeing the suffering that happens in the world because of sin. That's what chapter six is about. The first five seals show us the suffering that is caused by man's inhumanity towards other men. And even look at how the first four begin, right? The first four seals, when Jesus opens them, the living creature invites the rider to come. So the living creature, again, a representative of creation. So mankind, sinful man, invites these things upon ourself. And so what are these things? Well, let's look at them. The first seal, the first horseman of the apocalypse, is the white horse, uh, the rider on the white horse. What does he do? He has a crown that was given to him. So he is a ruler. He has come to rule. First Samuel chapter 8 is a very helpful chapter on that, uh, what kings will do to us. He's come conquering and to conquer. So the first horseman, the first seal of these seven seals is about tyranny, is about the way that sinful governors in this creation will oppress and conquer and harm God's creation. And then the second seal, uh, the, the red horse, red for blood, uh, this writer takes peace away from the earth so that people would slay one another. He was given a sword. So we've got uh, this second second seal represents bloodshed. As man strikes man, as we kill one another, as we pour out blood into the earth. Just like Cain shed the blood of Abel into the earth. And God even told Cain that the blood of Abel called out and testified against him. The third seal, the black horse, its rider represents scarcity. So you have people crying out, uh, a quart of wheat for a denarius. A denarius is a day's pay. A quart of wheat isn't going to go very far. You know, you've got, a, you've got liquid measurements in mind for this, but you can think of a gallon, right? You, you have a gallon of milk in your refrigerator. A quart is one-fourth of that so roughly that much grain that that's all you get for your entire day's pay that's not going to feed your family not even close and because it cost you your whole day's pay just to buy the grain you don't even have the other ingredients you don't have the oil to help make the bread you don't have the wine that that your family would drink you're lacking because of scarcity so famines are a part of this one, although we're going to see famine in the next horseman as well. So this one probably, you could ultimately put not just scarcity, but mankind's own greed into this, that we would harm one another and not deal, deal fairly, not care for one another, not provide for one another. That brings us to the fourth seal, the fourth horse, and the fourth horse is pale. When we think of paleness, we relate it to bad health, ill health. And so this rider is named death, and followed by, by Hades, which can be a reference to death or to hell. And so here, this horse is given the authority, this rider given the authority to attack the world 
with famine, pestilence, and wild animals. So cause the world not to produce enough, that'll lead to some death. Pestilence or plagues, that'll lead to some death. And then just being killed by, by the animals, that'll lead to some death as well. Um, fractions. We've talked about numbers quite a bit here in the book of Revelation. Fractions in the book of Revelation. You probably don't want to try adding fractions in this book, but rather simply look at them as, as what they show you. So here we have a fourth. A fourth is a significant amount, right? You think of right now there are good 8 billion people. Not quite there, I don't think, but close to 8 billion people in the world. So a fourth of them is 2 billion. That's a lot of people. So that's what this number, this fourth, is trying to get across. It's a, it's a significant number, but it's not a majority. So God gives authority to death to kill some, a significant amount, but not a majority, not all, certainly not all, by famine and plague and wild beast. Now, that wild beast connects very closely to the fifth seal then, because at that time in history, uh, the Roman emperors had been, especially Nero, but Nero's gone at this point um, by the time John writes this book. Nero especially, though, known for his pattern of killing Christians in the Colosseum as sport. He would trot them into the Colosseum, and he'd, he'd send wild animals in and just allow them to, to commit the execution. And the sadness of Rome was the people loved it. The Colosseum was always full of people wanting to see these executions or the gladiatorial battles to the death, all those kinds of things. And it always, it, it constantly strikes me as noteworthy that even though this is happening, the Christians of the New Testament, God in the New Testament never thinks to say to the Christian that we shouldn't partake of this terrible injustice, but that's not the goal of the church. The church simply shares the word of Christ, so there's no focus left on it. Anyway, back to our topic at hand. We enter then the fifth seal, and this is the souls of the martyrs, those who have been slain for witnessing to the Lord, under the altar, crying out. Now, what does the phrase under the altar mean? It can refer to two different altars. If it refers to the altar that would be used for sacrifice, so for offerings, um, then, then you're talking there about possibly the connection that these men and women have sacrificed their own lives. They have offered themselves up to the Lord, as again, as martyrs. On the other hand, you could look at this perhaps as being the incense altar. So that was in the temple of the Lord, um, and the incense altar was a, a place of prayer. And so these, these martyrs then, uh, that This is a reference to them offering up their prayers to the Lord, that they are under the altar. Hard to say um, which one that might be, but a couple of possibilities for you to consider. And they cry out, how long, O Lord? How long until judgment day? How long until you avenge our blood? As a pastor, I encourage you to serve your neighbor. I encourage you to love and to serve your enemies. Christ does that too. Um but I can't deny that there is good scriptural evidence for also praying that the Lord would avenge you, 
You don't get to avenge yourself. That's clear from Scripture. But that the Lord would do it, well, we see that here, and we also have that in the imprecatory psalms. Uh, there are a series of psalms that very specifically speak that way and have that language of, of the psalmist, whether it's David or Asaph or another, praying to the Lord, singing to the Lord, that he would avenge them against their enemies, their foes. So here we see the saints doing that. We see the martyrs doing that. How long must we wait? And that's really a theme of this chapter. How long will all of this go on? How long must we endure all of this? And that's a question you can be discussing with your children as you're going through this. How long have we been seeing tyranny? How long have we been seeing bloodshed? How long have we been seeing scarcity and greed? How long have we seen you know, plagues and death? How long have we seen all of this? How long, how long must we continue to see all of this? How long have Christians been persecuted for their faith? Why, O oh Lord, do you not put an end to the suffering of your people? The time has not yet come. The martyrs in verse 11 are given a white robe, so they are clothed in Christ. You can look at something like Romans 13, 14 for that. And they're told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow saints is complete. Those who also will be martyred. The world is not done sinning against God. In his own infinite wisdom, God has set the end of time. He knows how many more saints will receive martyrdom. He knows how many more days the violence will go on. But he also knows how many more Christians he will still save. How many more Christians he will make by pouring out his Holy Spirit upon the world. So we trust God. We trust in his proper timing because we simply don't know. And then we get to the sixth seal here. And some of this stuff happens on Good Friday. This is the upheaval of all of creation. So you see the earth quaking, the sun and the moon and the stars um, being devastated. Uh, so the sun becomes black like sackcloth. Sackcloth is a reference to mourning, sadness, sorrow, grief. Um, they would pretty much cover themselves in ashes, having been burned up. Second Peter talks that way. Second Peter chapter 3 of the, the end of time, the, the passing away of the the old heaven, the old earth. Joel chapter 2 talks about the moon like this does. Um, the stars of the sky, again, we're going to see that in a different way later in the book, the reference to the stars being like angels that we've talked about before, that the angels fall from God. Um, but this appears to not be that reference. This appears to be more the literal idea of the destruction of creation that is coming in the judgment when that day comes. I mean, think about verse 14, a scroll that is rolled up. Imagine the sky. Imagine the heavens above you rolling up like a scroll. And talk about impressive visuals. That one is, you know, terrifying, which is what we see here, right? Uh, in verse 15, the response to all of this happening, all the great ones of the earth are terrified and they flee and they hide, and they beg creation to end them. Don't let God's wrath fall upon me. Better that the mountain would fall upon me. And that's a quotation um, coming out of, of the book of Hosea, 
don't think I still have that quotation pulled up. Hosea, yeah, I do. Hosea chapter 10, verse 8. Jesus quotes it in Luke 23, verse 30, as he's on the, the road carrying the cross up to Golgotha. He says that to some of the women who were mourning for his death. It would be better to die at the hand of creation or the wild beasts or scarcity or bloodshed or tyranny. It would be better to die at the hands of creation than it would be at God's wrath. But it doesn't work that way. Death at the hands of creation does not actually spare you from the wrath of God. And so they will learn that. They are hiding from the wrath of the Lamb. Which, when you think of the phrase, the wrath of the Lamb, that doesn't sound terrifying. But to the sinner it indeed is. Because on the judgment day, God the Father has given to his Son, he has given to the Lamb all authority on heaven and on earth, which includes the authority for judgment. So these are right to fear Jesus. That authority has been vested in him. So, these six seals, the seventh seal comes after an interlude. Chapter 7 gives us a break from judgment to talk about salvation. Chapter 8 will then return to the seventh seal, which really introduces the, the second cycle, the second repetition of this. This is the picture of what happens in creation from the moment of the cross until Christ returns. This has been happening. The four horsemen of the apocalypse have been happening for nearly 2,000 years. This is not something future that you have to await. You're not looking for the pale horse to show up. The pale horse has been here and continues to interact with creation, continues to, to bring about famine and pestilence, while scarcity and greed and bloodshed and tyranny, all those things continue as well. Persecution certainly continues in various parts of the world upon God's saints. So these things continue. And with the saints, with the martyrs under the throne, we too can cry out, How long, O Lord? How long does creation endure? When will Christ return? 